0: Internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore it. In the murky darkness of virtual places, there could be dragons, shagoths, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the earth who say, discover what they would the reach of the silent floor.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the show. Tonight I am joined... By a very special guest, Miss Gifts Ungiven of the Gifts Ungiven YouTube page. This is actually our second go-round because we had a, uh, for the second time ever for this podcast, we had an episode that got lost to the ether. But that's okay because we're back and better than ever and we're going to uh, revisit the content in a much more refined manner that we discussed last time. And uh, I'm here to tell you that this young lady has some really novel insights she, she came to me with some interpretations of the stuff I wanted to talk to her about that I've never heard before. I'm really, really impressed. I'm really, really happy to showcase Gifts Ungiven. So why don't you tell my audience and uh, your audience who's, who are joining us, where we can find your content, what the what the vibe of your channel is on YouTube, and you know how long you've been doing it and those sorts of things.
2: Okay, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. And thank you for having me on again it was an excellent conversation. It is a tragedy that, you know, the listener, the listeners aren't going to be able to hear it, but I know this is going to be good anyhow. Uh, so yeah, I I have a YouTube channel and, uh, it's a very, it's not commentary. It's very, it's very artful approach to, uh, you know, disseminating information. That's very, uh, I would say not very, politically correct or um, maybe hidden history i guess you could say is what it would be alluding to or just esoteric things that are kind of a bit more edgy and so i talk to a computer there's another character we kind of you know duke duke it out um uh, have these dialogues uh and uh and discuss you know some cultural thing that's happening and then that that'll sort of divulge into like a topic of um or a conversation about um, that 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 leads to a philosophical end or or whatever. So um uh, it's I guess you could say it's similar to the poppy project too. I don't know if anybody uh, you know your audience would know about that channel. It used to be a pretty popular.
1: It's a YouTube channel. channel.
2: Yeah, yeah, so that was kind of the inspiration for the channel. i I've been doing it for about, let's say. Almost four years or no, no, I think I did check recently and it was four years uh, ago that I posted my first video.
1: Awesome. Well, it has sort of a uh, synth vaporwave slash uh, sci-fi vibe to it. The talking to the computer thing is, of course, a bit of a 2001 A Space Uh Odyssey throwback. Uh But uh, you guys, well, you guys, (laughs) you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what, what, what would you say? Um, I mean, I could I could say it, but I'd like to hear how you would characterize mm-hmm. like the the thrust of your content, your commentary, because I'm having you on. I like all your episodes, but I'm having you on as you know because one of your episodes like really got me and is really really excellent. Um, but you do like culture commentary, commentary on technology, mythological. I mean, would you characterize it somewhere in that zone?
2: Yeah, it's it's an eclectic mix of things that I talk about. But I think the thing that kind of ties it all together, and I think the video that I just made that you're referring to is kind of the reason I'm, you know, making all of these videos to begin with. And really what that means is what I'm trying to say is that there is a spiritual battle going on and that's the thing that kind of ties it all together
1: yes that is well said i i think i heard you talking about that sort of on another podcast um and i think you're right and based on the lost episode we have i know that you are a good person uh in this battle and you're fighting the good fight thank you (laughs) So listen, why don't we? Um, one thing I've been curious about it, before we really dig down into your your episode, and it's the one on the Garden of Eden. I forgot the title already, uh, but I've watched it twice now and done a lot of thinking and reading about it. Um, what was that episode called? It was something about the apple.
2: It's um actually.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. Now that now it.
2: that you said you forgot, I kind of forgot. Give me just one second. I I had it. It's te- I think it's in my with- mind tending, tending the, the garden. garden that's right yeah. that's right yeah. that's
1: right but before we really dive in uh can you just tell us about the video you're working on now because all you've told me so far is that it's like sort of related to the garden of Eden, like sort of inspired by it so I'm just really curious like what's what's coming next um are you question. are you willing or able to talk about it <laughs> or is it too like
2: I don't know because you know it, what happens is that I kind of if there's, like, something culturally that happens or even, like, a an event in the world, sometimes that'll, like, force me to make okay. something. But, but in general, I think it just has to do with, let's see. I don't know. I, I think I don't know yet. I think okay. the answer is okay. I don't fully know, so I can't say.
1: That's okay. I think that's kind of what you said last time I asked you, which was a few yeah. weeks ago. But I'm bringing it up because I'm really excited. And I really want to see what the next one oh, is. Oh, cool. <laughs> because your last <laughs> <love> one. <laughs> yeah, you got to tell me. Um, your last one, the the tending the garden one, It, I don't think you really intended to leave it as a cliffhanger per se, but it definitely left me like kind of like my head was spinning, just like our last conversation we had together. <laughs> uh, you really made my head spin like nobody ever has. Um, so I went like went out (laughs) and like reading a bunch of things and I'm like, I'm like, okay, like what's next? Like, I need to know more. So why don't you, can you, can you briefly synopsize the tending the garden video for, for my listeners? Uh, you guys, it's only like 15 minutes long. So the next thing you do after listening to this conversation or even stop the show right now and go watch it and then come back because we're going to dive down pretty deep. Okay. go, Go ahead. Yeah.
2: So, uh, Let's see. The video to just it takes place um, in in a uh, garden, and it's me, you know, picking apples off of a tree. You know, I just thought it would be a, a fitting place to to talk about uh, the Garden of Eden story, and so I'm running through uh, the idea that if you look at the etymology. And you take uh, another book which is very or another story uh, the story of Inanna in, in the garden, uh, which is an old Mesopotamian story and, and you you look at that and you compare that to the the Garden of Eden story from the Bible. there's various different things in the video I, I go through to, to you know break down the similarities between those two stories but then also the etymology and how you know that does tie to Europe, and it also um, uh, suggests that in the evolution of of, of the word apple, which um, I, I think it was malum is is what, which is basically like melon, like means evil. Uh, I, I'm making a suggestion in in an artistic format because I can't exactly say what I want to say. Uh, it's very. If you get to the root of of the Garden of Eden story, I really do think that that answers a lot of questions about what's going on today. Because there's a line, ah. there's there's a thing that's happening today, and it's just basic. It, we we repeat history, and the, we kind of the same mistake keeps repeating itself. And we've we've been dealing with a very, I don't know. It's it's complicated because. I, I guess to answer the question of what the video, what I was doing well, in the video was, was that I was just trying to make a case for basically bloodlines that, that you know, the, the Garden of Eden story su- is suggestive of a bloodline. And that when, you know, Eve ate the apple, it was actually to do with like, bloodlines and not so much just an allegory, an allegory or something like that, or just purely spiritual. I think there's another element there. Does that answer the question? Well, what no, but we are,
1: we are going to answer the question, though. OK. Um, The way I understood. OK, we're just going to get into this, so people just have to go watch the video. Um, I think
2: they just have to watch the video. Yeah, just they just have to watch the
1: video yeah. and then we will we're just going to discuss it. Uh, We're not going to review it um, because it's it's really my (laughs) I I, I want feedback. I want people (laughs) to tell me if I'm the only one who's never seen this or heard this. But you suggested to me. That the apple and the eating of the apple and, of course, the seed of the fruit Mm. was actually symbolic These are my words, not yours, so you need to clarify this Mm -hmm. of Adam's wife sleeping and being impregnated with a man who is not her husband uh, and being cast out of the garden has to do with like basically miscegenation and like polluting the bloodlines and corrupting the bloodlines of whatever this tribe was or whoever Mm -hmm. these people were probably going back to Persia, right?
2: Yeah, probably Persia, maybe ancient India. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. But the
1: story was appropriated and put into the Bible and kind of a lot was taken out and it was mm. sort of diluted. And it now has all these other interpretations put onto it, which I think are valid. And we are going to talk about some of the other interpretations. Mm-hmm. Um, But but the basis of your analysis from my, the way I understand it is what I just said that that. Yes. Uh, Okay, so you're agreeing with my characterization.
2: Yeah, that's that's what the video is about, honestly. And more directly, thank you. That's, that's well said. Yeah.
1: Well, I only was able to say that because of <laughs> the way you uh, presented it to me. Now, mm. there's much more to this because like, okay, so it's talking about, say, a prince and a princess maybe, or a king and a queen.
2: Possibly. Yeah.
1: And she, she, they have a Eve goes on to be impregnated with a bastard, which is what it would be. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Good.
2: Yes. Yes. And, and, and actually the the names of, of the people are um, Dadam and uh, Mahiva. So we actually have like from the text that um, I was looking at, uh, that I got a lot of my interpretations from the, the names are a little different. There's like a bit more but similar.
1: Can you tell us what this text is? This yeah, previous so, yeah.
2: So kudos to uh uh Asha Logos, If anybody out there is familiar with him, uh he actually suggested this uh version of the Bible to me. It's called the Colbrin Bible, and it's uh you know, there there's a lot of, and he even said this to me that you know there there is a lot of speculation about its origins and and its legitimacy but you know if you read the reviews on on amazon about it everyone who's gotten it and read it will say okay we don't exactly know what this is but it is extremely intriguing like when you read it you will you will get the sense that there is an enormous amount of additional information that you don't get from like a king james version of the bible
1: yeah. And didn't you tell me this was uh, see, I don't know exactly where you want to go with this. So I um, maybe maybe for now, you can just kind of synopsize the whole situation without me asking questions, because you were talking sure. about where the Colburn Bible might have came from. You were talking about. Uh, the the culture and the people like that predated the Old Testament, that this story came from, that was appropriated. Uh, mm-hmm. and sort of changed along with lots of other stories in the, in the Bible, by the way. Right. And then you were also talking about uh, Cain and Abel uh, in conjunction, like as the next part of this story mm-hmm. and how that relates to your interpretation. So why don't you just lay it out? Um...
2: Yeah. Okay. So let's see where to begin. Uh, so the Cain and Abel thing, okay. I know where to start. So in my video, I talk about Inanna and she is a Mesopotamian goddess. And, you know, this predates the Bible from what what I remember. um, and I'm almost certain it predates the Bible. It's Mesopotamia. And you have this story of of a garden, a woman in a garden. And she says, there's a snake in my tree. And the snake, uh, I don't know. I can't remember if she calls the snake. Lilith. I'd have to reread it, but I think she says Lilith put a snake in my tree. And what's interesting is that this this version in the Colbrin actually says um, has the name Lilith in it. But 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 anyhow, uh, this this story predates the Garden of Eden um, uh, garden story, and it's it's very similar, talking about a tree and all of that stuff. But anyhow, what I'm kind of suggesting is is that story got you know it it, by the time you get to ancient israel uh you may have like dynasties that kind of brought that story with them you know when when they started you know the, the abrahamic blessing is basically just a lineage that um that let's see how do i put this uh it's kind of like the kings and queens of ancient israel had this they, they thought was um, a holy bloodline. And so exactly. Yeah. And so if that goes back, what I'm saying is that the, the garden of Eden story seems to have an evolution and it's been brought with them. And then by the time that you get to the Bible that we have today, that story has been, it's kind of been morphed into something more like they've taken the racial element out of it. They've taken the the bloodline element out, and it's become more of like poetry, which you know, and now going to the 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 part about Cain. That's not in the Colburn version. I mean, I haven't gotten to I don't know if there's another creation story, but the creation story I read. And the Colbrin doesn't have anything about Cain. And then obviously the Mesopotamian story story about Inanna doesn't have anything about Cain. And it wouldn't because when you get to the Levant, you know, after the Bronze Age collapse, uh, which is, you know, before the Bible. um, Right. Well, that's what the Bible is written about is the people who arrived in the Levant. But any anyhow, um, the the people that arrived to the Levant were the Sea People, and then you have all of these nomadic tribes and stuff, and and the people from probably from Mesopotamia who arrived in that area, and they replaced because the Bronze Bronze Age collapse was um, uh, there were there were famines and floods and all sorts of things. It replaced a group of people called the Canaanite people. Yes, and so you there are so many books i think it's book of joshua or something like that it's not i don't know if it's in the bible but it's like in it's the same canon it's still canon understood that sto- Um, there are so many stories about these epic battles between these new people who arrive at the levant and levant is is modern day israel by the way these people arrive there and and these books are about the battles that they have with Canaanite people like wanting to exterminate these people yeah so wait
1: can i stop you yeah. real quick this yeah, is e- extraordinarily fascinating but let me try to draw a line here um sure. and you 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 can correct me if i'm wrong but what this tells me right is that the the people that we know of as jews from the bible the israelites they have this story um that may have been Persian to begin with, and they appropriate it. Or if I'm following your interpretation here, they themselves had like their first exodus being kicked out or removed from Mesopotamia. And this is an allegory for that experience of leaving. And then they end up in Egypt um, and the Sea Peoples come and Egypt, of course, was uh, beset by the sea peoples, like everybody else was. And then mm-hmm. the Israelites have what I guess would be a second Exodus—the Exodus, the exodus mm-hmm. that we know, um, the story of the accounting of being kicked out of or, or leaving Egypt uh, during all this calamity, right during the 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 Mycenaean Dark Age, and then they end up in the Levant, right? Of course, the the the. Uh, the Cain and Abel story uh, predates Exodus because Cain and Abel's in uh, Genesis. So that's the one thing that's given me pause that I am why I said you should correct me if I'm wrong. But if I'm like tracking this to things that happened or that were speculating happened, mm. is you had this tribe that was kicked out I, based on the way the story of Je- uh, the Garden of Eden is told right mm-hmm. because they they kind of uh messed around outside of their you know lineage
2: and you know they what were, they were think, exiled
1: for whatever reason
2: i think uh i think we need to take a step back because yeah. that that there's lots of missing pieces that i think will pull what you said together um it, t- together yeah. uh so so first off it's complicated because when we talk about you know the Garden of Eden story, you end up getting um, Eve and Adam. And then, you know, according to the Colbran, it seems that, you know, their lines went in different directions, but, and then they end up converging later, but in, you know, the Bible that most people read, uh, there's this person named Cain. And if you look into other sources, you start to learn about this, you know, line of Cain. Um, But anyhow, the, it's, it's kind of confusing and I'm not entirely certain about all the details, but one thing we need to establish first and foremost is that the people of the Bible are not Jews. That the Jews are one group of people that are in the Bible and that the people who were in the Levant, who are made up of people from Mesopotamia, most likely, and who knows some other uh, nomadic tribes, And the sea people who are, um, uh, I I think they're the Danu, they, uh, or Tuthila Dan, I can't exactly remember. Um, They all come together to become what is known as the Hebrew people, the Abrahamic people who get this Abrahamic blessing. Um, So it's really important that when we talk about the people of the Bible that we never refer to them as Jews, because Jews are, are a group of people that are basically birthed out of the situation that the Christians were born out of, which was the death of Jesus, the sacking of Jerusalem. And then that's when you get the Talmud. The, now, the last thing I'll say is that um, how the Hebrew people, what is the Hebrew people? It's um, 12 tribes it's 12 different Mm -hmm. tribes. And so you have, you know, I I can't remember all the the names of the different tribes, but you know, you have, you have um, uh, Judah or um, you have Benjamin. There's, there's a, uh, a long list of them. And the ones that ended up receiving the blessing, as far as we know, it was Joseph. And then it ends up going to Ephraim and Manasseh which their names happen to mean fruitful and forgetful which is actually very poetic but um but yeah J- judah is one of the other tribes and it's it's academically incorrect <laughs> to say that the people of the bible were all jews that's just actually not correct in any way well, shape or form
1: well okay but didn't you say and and this goes back to what i was saying about The Garden of Eden being an allegory for a people
0: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, going outside of their bloodlines, being exiled or banished from, say, Persia or Mesopotamia, Mm -hmm. right? Or from wherever the garden represents. Sure. Which is interesting because they say the ancient city of Babel was like a a hanging garden, you know, but that's Mm -hmm. another story.
2: Well, we know that there was a a Bible or Babel where um in mesopotamia yeah and then and then you get in of uh, um uh phoenicia phoenicia i think it was called yeah ancient phoenicia am i saying that right it's right well, above ab- above ancient israel that's where the bible was written and the bible is named after i think it's actually called bibles in ancient phoenicia it was written in ancient phoenician so anyhow what were you gonna say
1: So then. So then they go from Mesopotamia over to the Levant, right? And there's this connection with Egypt and the, the book of Exodus. Yeah. The question I have for you, didn't you say that one of these tribes that you're talking about, or some of these tribes that you're talking about, are were the sea peoples?
2: Yeah. So it's it's um uh what let let's see, what was their name? When they when they were the sea people.
1: You're, uh, this, you're talking about the same people
2: uh they're yeah so they're the uh Sar- okay i remember now there's the sardani sardanians or yeah sardania or sardanians and then they become dan tribe of dan and then this tribe of dan is uh uh in ireland was later known i believe as toothelidan I think that's how you say it. Uh, Pardon me, I might be wrong. No, that's okay. But
1: for for the listener, we have to say that part of your theory, it's not really your theory, actually, right?
2: Mm, I get it from all sorts. Yeah,
1: right. Part of this story is that these tribes were banished and scattered and some of them went into Europe and some of them ended up in Scotland and Ireland and other parts of Europe. But for now, I'm trying to trace this Genealogy.
2: I know what you're asking. And I I know the answer.
1: Then let's hear it.
2: Okay. So I think I know what you're getting at. So, yes, you have people from, you know, who brought this Garden of Eden story, possibly from ancient India or ancient Persia or whatever, were in Mesopotamia maybe, and then went to the Levant, modern day Israel. But then you also have this
1: Egypt connection. The Egypt connection
2: there definitely is and and even even the sea people were enslaved this the 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 Sardanians they were enslaved by the Egyptians we we have hieroglyphics we know this and what's interesting about the sea people is that they had horns they had on um, uh you know uh helmets uh, helmets with horns and their ships had you know they looked the, identical to um um viking ships so you know and in in modern academia the, the uh, academia they will say oh who are these sea people you know we don't know who they are you know we have no idea but yeah. we know that they were the uh, Sard- sardanians so it's not that much of a mystery it's just it complicates the story because when you start to talk about the people of israel the people who are fighting the canon uh, canaanites they they built their their structures when they before they had established the kingdom of Israel. They established structures which were more where they would hide out uh during the wars and whatnot. They are built um like you know, an Israelite or a Sardanian would, and not like you know what uh, the Canaanites how they would build their structures. So there definitely is a difference in who established the area anyhow. So, um, so you're yeah.
1: saying that all these things we know about the wars and the sea peoples and the replacements of dynasties and the establishments of kingdoms in the Levant are sort of uh, genealogized or mythologized in the Bible in the Old Testament are telling these stories and you can trace some of these stories of these characters, these individual characters in the Bible to groups of people and the way they interacted with each other historically in that region.
2: I think I'm starting to piece that together, yes, and I think there's a lot there's a lot of evidence that suggests that, and again, going back to my video, and that's really just an introduction to what, what I hope will be more videos on this topic. It, it, there you, whenever you're trying to study a topic like this and look at the bible you can't do it like jordan peterson's doing it it's incorrect to just look at the bible as like poetry or something like that we know the word gene you know uh genetics that comes from genesis that's where what the etymology of that word is okay and, and the Bible begins with a series of of names of people. And it's really boring. You know, in Genesis, you just read through, um, uh, you know, a lineage of people. It's yeah, very it's important.
1: In, it's, it's in the New Testament, too. I think it was Matthew. I can't remember interesting. Which, which one now. But one of the and, four gospels starts with a lineage like that. Well, and it's and also, why? Yeah, go and, ahead. Sorry.
2: And, and, and why is this? This is well, because I have this a theory,
1: is, but I think you refute my theory.
2: Possibly, but, but I guess I'll finish my point. <laughs> sorry, I, sorry, and no, sorry, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. I, I'll just finish it off, and I'll say that you know, in it, it, I think it's the Bible is definitely about lineages and about you know the Abrahamic blessing. That's really okay. important. Yeah. No, then
1: our theories are the same. Then sorry, I didn't mean the. Okay, you off. good. <laughs> yeah, I agree, I agree completely. Sweet. So, but, but. The thing that you say that threw me for a loop that I've never heard before is that my interpretation of reading the Bible, um, without sort of the context that you're talking about, was these lineages were to show that they were Jewish, but you're saying that's no. not not the case. I guess that's the disagreement, or not, I, I shouldn't say the disagreement. It's really the maybe the misunderstanding, because when I was reading it, I thought to myself. Well, they're putting this in here to show that, like, this is a Jewish heritage. Uh, but but I I think you were saying that that's not exactly the case and that um, what we understand as being Jewish, especially in the Levant and the Israelites and the Hebrews versus Ashkenazis, which are the European Jews that most mm-hmm. people are familiar with today, especially in America. Is that. um this genealogy in the Bible doesn't say that it just goes back to the blessing of Abraham, which is not the same thing as being Jewish.
2: It's not, it is definitely not. And that's why, and and here's the thing to add to what you're saying is, you know, lots of people who are pagans or, you know, just just really don't like the things that are going on in the world and have become skeptical towards Christianity and for good reason are it's you're kind of throwing out the baby with the bathwater if you just you know throw christianity out because of its you know the ties that it seems to have the european people are are very connected to the story of what happened in the levant uh back then in ancient israel that is i think that's a misconception today with the way that things are going people don't want that they think that there was some sort of uh you know, with the Crusades and stuff, that this was forced upon the European people. But I think there's definitely, and I don't know 100 I don't know for 100% certain, I'm not 100% certain on this, but I, I do think there is a big possibility that the kings and queens of Europe, which were all killed by like the Rothschild banking family and stuff like that, <laughs> uh, the, ba- the bankers, Uh, you know, that, that's a whole different thing. But um. Those kings and queens uh, had something to do with this lineage, which is why the crests that, you know, your family may have and my family have, if you know, you're European, anybody listening, you will have a family crest. And oftentimes on these family crests, you will see things like, you know, there is in Europe in I think it was in Ireland or Scotland, there is Ephraim. And it's, it's the the family Ephraim. And they have, I think it's a, a bull, which is really interesting. And that goes back to ancient Israel. So there's a family in Europe with the last name Ephraim. And so to just say, well, we don't have anything to do with ancient Israel, I I think that that's um it's it well, I think it's incorrect. I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that we are part of that story too, not not just Jews. Jews are a part of the story, but we are also a part of the story.
1: Yeah, this is like, uh, this is like, I've never heard any of this before. And I just had to take a moment to remind people that only on the Astroflight Simulation podcast are you going to get content like this. <laughs> uh, I I I am dedicated to bringing you ideas and perspectives that are not available anywhere. And I think I'm coming through in spades by having you on because oh, this sweet. is like <laughs> thank you nothing I've ever heard before. Now. I almost don't even know where to go at this point because we can just continue on on this thread here that you're discussing.
2: Well, I think we should talk about um, the 12 tribes and what happened. At okay,
1: that. I'll let you get that. Yeah. Probably yeah. important to bring okay. up at this point. Yeah, for sure. Go so,
2: ahead. so I, you know, this might be a bit confusing, but um, let's see, how do I put this? We know that there are uh, lost tribes of Israel. People have uh, r- brushed uh, against this um, twelve lost tribes. Well, we know one of the tribes isn't lost, and that's um, the tribe of Judah, which are modern day Jews. Now they're a mixture. They're actually a mixture of the other tribes, but they're primarily from the house of Judah. And so you have so so it's important to understand what this means. So you have the Abrahamic blessing and the creation of ancient Israel before Jesus. And so um, what happened through this Abrahamic blessing was you had all these tribes that probably were nomadic tribes, uh, this uh, um, Sardanian people that came, uh, came to the Levant on ships, whatever, they all came together. And what you end up getting through these dynasties or whatever are 12 tribes. And we listed a few of them in the beginning Um, But what ends up happening to these tribes is what um, a lot of people don't understand and they don't know. Uh, There's a lot of historical backing for this. We know that, you know, there were many people that interacted with the people who lived in ancient Israel. And um, because some people think the Bible just is a bunch of, you know fantasy stories, some silly stories, uh, mythology and stuff. all, like that, which allegor-
1: it is. all allegory and myth. That's basically right.
2: And that's is. the beauty of the Bible is that it's multi-layered, but it is a history book too. So what, ha- what happened was you, um, you have ancient Israel, there's an Abrahamic blessing, and then there's a contention between, uh, Judah and Joseph because, you know, a Judah wants the blessing, and 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 from my understanding, but this part of the Bible definitely has been censored, and the information on it is pretty tricky. Um, uh, Ephraim is known to have gotten it, or or I think it might it's Ephraim or Manasseh. But then what ends up happening is you have ancient Israel, and they split into two, and because of this contention about who gets the blessing or who gets the power. Uh, you end up getting the creation uh, in the southern region known as Ju- Judea. And then you, what ends up happening is the northern kingdom eventually ends up getting taken over by the Neo Assyrian um, uh, Empire. And then that's how you lose most of the tribes. So most of the tribes get absorbed. It, and and they, they they go up into europe which i guess would be georgia or modern day romania so they kind of went in different directions but they went up into europe and and then what ends up happening to judea is you have um i think it's tribe of benjamin and and, and judah end up you know hanging out there for a while but then babylon comes in and, and takes over the region and then it collapses but then they reunite and then that's when you get to the time of jesus and you get jerusalem and then jerusalem gets sacked because of the things that you know were going on with taxes and that's a whole complicated thing the roman thing the roman thing so so yeah to wrap it up uh, you know we had 12 tribes then there were um uh you know two that were left behind and the rest kind of got lost and then basically one consolidated into what is known as the Jewish people. And, and then, you know, that would lead us to the other part of the story, which would be regarding Jesus and, you know, Christians, this is, this is really complicated stuff, but yeah, if you wanted to know what happened to the, to the, all these tribes of Israel and that whole lost tribes thing, there's a lot of history behind that. Well, to to sum it
1: up simply, You're suggesting that at least some of them went and started, if not dynasties, uh, uh, families and lineages in Europe, that some of whom were passed down and survived intact as a family. And uh, the thing is, is when you talk about a family back then, it's different. It's not a nuclear family, it's like a clan. It's like a, you know, yeah, I think so. It's like a whole group of people who sort of are independent you know living independent on their estate or whatever it is in europe that eventually like had family crests which means that they were like integrated into the whole like tapestry of medieval europe all the way down at least until the the confrontations with the rothschilds that you were talking about yes (laughs) um so so the point being that these uh um these lineages that we know of in Europe, at least a few seem to have been descended from some of these scattered 12 tribes.
2: Yes. And, and, and to the extent at which, you know, they, um, I'm not exactly sure if it, if it were the dynasties, like the Kings and Queens, um, the, the people who were more wealthy who ended up just establishing themselves in Europe and then built europe up and they were like the ones that made that happen i'm not i'm not saying that necessarily right, of course, but there was yeah. obviously like a marrying in with the people who were up in the northern region um of of that area but 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 I, you know i, th- I think I'll, I'll just say this um from my understanding even in like acad- academia today like even if you go to university i think it is understood that civilization begins or western civilization begins with mesopotamia what happened there and so i think it's very silly to suggest that ancient israel isn't a part of that story and we know that the people uh, we we know that i think it's king tut um every european male is has like an enormous amount of um uh, his dna uh so so I think it's just a silly suggestion that you know the Jewish people would be related to the people of ancient Israel, but we would not be, especially when we know that uh, that you know Mesopotamia and you know the cradle of civilization is is what honestly, like I mean, those stories are have contributed to European culture. We know that even in academia, like they they know that that they they, they have said that themselves so that's not censored that's not contentious information do you, do you kind of see what i'm saying
1: yeah i don't think i uh totally agree but i, I know what you're saying um I, I think i think it's distinct like western civilization and babylonian mesopotamian civilization are
2: it's drawn from there, like we all we it's, kind of yeah know
1: right it, it's yes right there is but not from crossover. ancient israel
2: yeah
1: yeah America. yeah Do you see
2: what i mean isn't that kind of silly like oh yeah you guys get all of the regions around there you get ancient greece all of these other things but oh ancient israel that that doesn't have anything to do with european people give me a break i mean we literally like worship jesus (laughs) and then the question as to why we worship jesus that's that's another interesting question And, and really honestly i don't fully know the answers i don't i you know i can't really talk about this uh, at least right now in like a lot of depth because i i I don't know nearly as much as i would like to know but these are the questions that i'm posing and that's really what my video is about is hey like don't you guys think this is a little bit weird don't you think it's kind (laughs) of interesting
1: yeah um but one thing we could say for sure that we know for a fact is that in pre-literate societies the history and the genealogy of those people were the stories and the myths that they told each other so that in it, it's not the same way as like a literary history where somebody like um, uh, Herodotus or someone or Thucydides will sit down and say like, these people live here. This is what they're like. This is how they interacted with these other people. The economy here is like this, but the economy over there is like that because it's you can't. Keep stories like that detailed and meticulous uh, and elaborate. So the myths are like highly metaphorical and elusive, which uh, I want to sort of transition. That's true.
2: Excellent point.
1: Right. So I want to maybe use this as a point to transition to Jung and a different interpretation of the Garden of Eden. But one of the things he talks about, and this is all over the place, uh, the Golden Bough, Joseph Campbell, all these people writing about pre-literate societies in the early 20th century, understand that the way uh language is used in pre-literate societies is uh, like I said, highly metaphorical and allegorical. Mm-hmm. And they also know and especially with with the peoples who were on the move and the people who were not sedentary, is that they wouldn't carry around thousands of scrolls and family trees that tell the story. Rather, Mm -hmm. they would carry around uh, these like fantastic, what we would consider like magical realist myths that tell the story and buried in that story is the actual genealogy of that tribe and of those people. Um, Now, I know much more about this, I'm not an expert on it, but I know much more about this in regards to the Iliad, but you can already see some similarities because, you know, they know that the Iliad was sung probably by traveling troubadours around the Peloponnese, and then it was eventually written down, and the the launching of the thousand ships with the catalog of ships where they go through all the different ships and they talk about the different places that each ship is from, is like the genealogy that we were talking about in the Bible. It's it's a similar motif in uh uh spoken pre-literate genealogies like this, where they mm-hmm. they go through them as a way to draw all these people together to like to like uh evoke the common heritage.
2: Yes. And actually I do have something to say.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Uh, there's two things. Um, so speaking of Logos, uh, he has a fantastic video on his channel uh, called um, it's from our subverted history. It's part six from Holy men to dark me uh, magicians. That video, I think it, it lines up with what you're talking about. So there, I think this is the common thread that a lot of um uh, uh this stuff maybe even going back to ancient india i i'm not exactly sure but um but did we have i think they're called bards and they basically tell the story of our people and because like you said you know oftentimes like we didn't even have um throughout history we didn't have things to write you know these stories down on you'd have to rely on the wise men to keep track of these stories and these lineages and then eventually things end up getting written down. So that video is an excellent video, which kind of goes into that and would be additional information for the topic that we're you know discussing here today.
0: Oh, that's for anybody good to
1: know. Out there. And it's so it's, it's a great video. He's still on YouTube, that guy.
2: Yes, thankfully. All Surprised right, he hasn't been uh, censored at this point. But uh, but then the other thing I would say is that um, actually I think that covers it. Yeah. It, yeah. So I just wanted to bring that up because that, that video would be very useful to add to your point. If anybody yes. Wants. And they, they
1: are called bards. And supposedly, the, the bards are the people who went. I mean, I like to picture it like they would gather at a tavern or some person's estate around the fireplace and sing the song of Achilles, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and they would. There um, you go. So even we know that um, during a certain festival in Greece. This is actually kind of a tangential point, but I'll make it anyway, that they would take turns. People would take turns singing the entire Iliad um, oh, and it would you know, take however long. And people even do that to this day, like with Moby Dick, they'll read the whole book and somebody will read for like an hour or they would tell the story of the Iliad. They would talk for an hour and then the next person would get up. But this is actually something that happens after it gets written down and it's different than the original um the original tradition this is a later tradition after it's been written down and anyway the ultimate point i'm trying to make here is that if this is true about the iliad and the greeks
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's no reason to think it's not true about the jews or the hebrews or the israelites or the 12 tribes whatever mm-hmm. you, whatever you think we should call yeah. them um so it's totally a worthwhile uh uh, uh thread to treat the first five books of the bible in particular um but you know for our purposes just the book of genesis not as an allegory or a myth but rather as an al- allegorical meta- metaphorical originally spoken uh story of these people their this these people's history yeah Um, so, so that is really great. Now I want to now move on to a couple other ways to read the garden of Eden story and they're in your video. So Mm. we're not, we're still in your content here. Okay. But Mm -hmm. before we do that, I just want to make sure there's not any loose ends that you want to comment on about, about this other line of thinking.
2: I I wish I had the exact quote and I should have, I should have had it. And I apologize. Um, I think in a in a future video I might have it available, but um, you know, there, our Bibles have been uh, censored tremendously. Books have been taken out of them, and uh, you know, um, sorry, <laughs> sorry, there was a noise. Uh, it's my dog. Okay, anyhow, I uh, what was I going to say?
1: Bibles stories that were taken out
0: remember remember what
1: uh we were talking in the episode that got lost i was saying that my parents had something that they referred to as the catholic bible and i had never like thought about it until you started talking because you were talking about the council of trent
2: oh yes and i Um, went i went and looked we can go down that path yeah well i thought
1: thought that no i thought that's where you were going just now
2: um i kind of lost my train of thought what was i saying
1: well well you were just saying that we know that books were taken out of the bible and books were edited out of the bible oh
2: i remember thank you Uh, okay so so yeah what i was gonna say is um that um that jesus um so 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 there are more okay so the bible has literally had things taken out of it I'm, i'm pretty sure on, and I, oh, I yeah, it was we know for an a-
1: absolute fact that it has. Yeah.
2: And then the ad- the the um the terminology that's used, the scribes, they actually and I think they were Gnostics and maybe even some Jews actually uh, changed certain words and phrasing and that there's many awful things that they did. But I, I think actually the word Gentile is probably the most deceptive because that I think was added later so what we know is that the phoenician and the 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 greek version were the um uh the they're the oldest versions that we have then you know in a weird way i don't understand why we end up getting the hebrew and then we end up getting i think it's like latin and then latin into english or something like that so the more original versions would be the the greek and the phoenician and so there is um, you'd have to use a translator, and this is what I'm apologizing about not having, but um, there is a um, uh, a line where Jesus is either, I think he asked to meet with the Greeks or the Greeks asked to meet meet with him. But in, in, if you look at a modern Bible, I think it just says um, Gentiles, which changes the meaning. And, and, and what's interesting is that So the greeks say we want to meet with jesus and then what happens is 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 that jesus says um uh you need to remember who you are and that's like the exchange and he's talking to them about you know if a people doesn't remember who they are then they don't deserve to be a people and he says this to the greeks and that they are you know from these tribes uh for they're 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 one of uh the lost tribes and and i think i brought this up last time that I think it was Herodotus, but I can't remember. I think it might've been Herodotus. Anyway, uh, um, uh, a Greek philosopher said that he was related to um, the, uh, he was a part of um, one of the lost tribes that, that he was from one of the lost tribes, which is really fascinating. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is along with censorship, well, there has been a sen- censorship of the Bible in numerous ways, either things taken out or words changed in order to hide sort of a connection between European people and ancient Israel. And the, That's the, my main and, point.
1: And the events and the people in the Bible. Yes. And it, it's it's not unreasonable because these 12 tribes were banging about in the Levant uh, and uh, on the uh, Anatolian, Uh, peninsula and like in what is modern day syria and the peloponnese and egypt right which was all connected Mm -hmm. at the time so to speculate that maybe some of these tribes ended up being some of the people in greece that we know of today is not totally you know unfounded it's not it's not totally unreasonable
2: i actually have something to say about that what's interesting about apple's and this is another part of the video, is that this story, this, this idea of apples, of an apple in a garden or something like that, you actually find that predating the Bible too. You actually find that in, um, I think it's uh, the Minoans, maybe the Minoans. They also had, uh, that's, that, that's where you get, um, you know, the stories in the Iliad. Uh, and, and you get um, these nymphs that protect trees and they protect trees of, you know, um, I think I read somewhere that the, the word apple is actually um, in, in, I think it's in some Grecian texts, is interchangeable with the word goat and sheep. But you know, I have to I have to do a video about it. But anyhow, it, it, um, these nymphs they were the protectors of. They would turn into trees, and then they would they would protect these apples from uh, from like a goat man. Uh, what 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 are they call The satyr. And the satyr yeah. would try to have sex with the with the nymphs and stuff like that. And that that's an interesting thing because you know. Um, that ends up being some, some of those elements actually end up, you know, you find in in the garden of Eden story. And then there's also like the tree of life idea. And this is the tree of life. That's such an interesting thing because, you know, oftentimes like the tree in the garden of Eden is depicted as a person. I, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is, is that you can even connect lots of those ancient Grecian myths to, you know, with, there's a similar thing going on with them and in the garden story too. That's what I'm trying to say. There's crossover for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I've kind of started to intuit is that like this whole concept of the monomyth and the archetypes from Campbell and young, they have this theory that like, there's this like uh, sort of pattern or like uh, uh, parameters that the unconscious like comes up with these archetypes and they always represent the same things in these different stories. Hmm. But based on like a lot of the reading I've been doing, and I'll just drop one name, which is uh, Julius Evola, that trace these, and this other guy, Robert Seffer, I think his name is a Robert Seffer on YouTube. Yeah,
2: Robert Seffer.
1: These guys trace a lot of these myths back to the ancient Aryans. And the conclusion that you start – the picture you start to see is that these are not archetypical forms that, like, different peoples, like, happen to, like, produce in their myths and their dreams because – the human consciousness can only you know, formulate certain things because each archetype is supposed to represent like a different aspect of the psyche. So right. according to that theory, then of course there's like patterns. But mm-hmm. if you start to look at like the Aryan origins to all these things, it's like, no, actually they're all from one source. They and do appear
2: to be from one source. And yes. that
1: source gets like spread out and scattered over thousands of years. And
2: it evolves.
1: And all these things yeah. and then it evolves independently of each other. Because but they end up getting cut off, just like languages.
2: Well, and here's the other thing is that you know, the people who are writing these stories are usually wealthy people, are you know the scribes of the The kings Scribes and the, queens. and the monks and yeah. And and that's interesting too, because you'll notice that um, lots of those stories have disappeared after the kings and queens of Europe ended up getting slaughtered. And now we have a new group of people who are in control of the world and they produce movies. And when you watch a movie, Marvel movie, whatever it is, they want to give you new archetypes. They want to give you a new kind of um, uh, perception of what you can be or who to look up to or whatever. Um, in the past, it used to be the kings and the queens are going to be the people that you look up to. And like, who knows, like the Iliad and the Odyssey, many many people say that those are actually kings and queens or rulers or whatever being um, kind of uh, mythologized as gods or something like that. I don't know if that's true. That may not be true. But the stories that we we tell each other. Oftentimes th- these important cultural stories came from kings and queens, came from wealthy people. Well, came they came from, from royalty For yeah, royalty. It, yeah. to establish to mythologize themselves because if you mythologize yourself um, in your lineage, that's a really important task and that's something that the in, an elite class always does. It's really important to maintain themselves up at the top of the hierarchy. Because yeah. think about it, you know, most people through our history didn't even know how to read or write or anything. And most normies even today don't care about that type of thing. You know, they're not writing the stories. It's the people with the money who get to write the stories. Yeah.
1: Well, and the people with the money who commission them. I think yeah. this is a good stopping point for a break. And we're going to have a musical sure. interlude. And we'll come back and we'll talk about the same subject from slightly different perspective and bring in a couple other possible interpretations but i think you've really hit on something and uh you have to send me some of these links you've been talking about sure all right so let's take a quick break and we'll be right back for part two The of man feels the splitting of the psyche as something unseemly and morbid, just as we do. Only, we call it a conflict, nervousness, or a mental breakdown. Not for nothing did the Bible story place the unbroken harmony of plant, animal, man, and God, symbolized as paradise, at the be- very beginning of all psychic development, and declare that the first dawning of consciousness, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil was a fatal sin to the naive mind it must indeed seem a sin to shatter the divine unity of consciousness that ruled the primal night it was the luciferian revolt of the individual against the one it was a hostile act of disharmony against harmony a separation from the fusion of all with all Therefore, God cursed the serpent and said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall be bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his head. Now, this is a paragraph from Carl Jung's book. Well, it's from the essay, The Meaning of Psychology for Modern Man, which modern man, which is uh, from the book Civilization in Transition, which is the collected works of Carl Carl Jung volume 10. Now, I read this essay because you had a Carl Jung quote in your uh, Garden of Eden video, Mm -hmm. and I asked you where you got it from, and you sent me a long PDF of, of extensive Carl Jung quotes, and the one about the Garden of Eden was from this essay. So, I went and read the entire essay, and I would like to had the second part of the show be um, different interpretations of the Garden of Eden from the one we were talking about and tie it into some of the stuff from your video. However, mm. just to sort of uh, bridge from the previous conversation to the next part of the conversation, what I was saying before about preliterate cultures who carry their genealogy and carry their history in their stories as myths and metaphors, those people live like in the tapestry of nature and there's no separation between unconscious and conscious and the waking world and the sleeping world and the world of dreams and the other world of like uh, the transcendent realm and other creatures. They're all mm. sort of like contiguous and like in a, uh, there's a continuum of reality from the unconscious mind to the conscious mind. And they're all together. And one way uh, particularly Oswald Spengler talks about the rise of civilization is they're waking up from the dream state. And uh, as you're waking up from the dream state, he says, you still have this like dream heavy soul, which means the myths uh, and the imagery and the symbolism of this primordial state, this preliterate state in which you're still living within the myths and your culture is informed by those myths that you tell about yourself Mm -hmm. uh, start to become separated over time. And one of the main things, and this is something for a different conversation, but one of the main things that causes this dichotomy, that causes this split and separates the conscious mind, from the uh, unconscious mind or the awake mind from the asleep mind or the transcendent realm and all the the transcendent beings that live there from the material plane where mm-hmm. it's just matter is literacy and writing that once things get written down, they become solidified, they lose their fluidity and there becomes a separation that the reality is the, is the material plane and the myth are the things in those stories And they're no longer one continuous whole. So what I was saying before about uh, the way you interpreted the Garden of Eden story is that to them, this myth was their lives. It was the story of their lives. So as we read it in a literate culture, this rational culture, we see it as like a man and a woman and the fruit of a tree. But it's really Mm -hmm. a metaphor for what you were saying is the is the 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 tribal lineage and then going outside the tribe and then the exile from the garden we have this interpretation but it's actually like an exodus from a Mm -hmm. physical place by a group of people now pardon me for being so long-winded but i wanted to just make that jump so that we can now talk about the garden of eden story in Jungian terms in psychological terms and in a couple other terms And uh, bring it to something you said in the very beginning that you didn't elaborate on. That I'm going to ask you to elaborate on soon Okay, is that you said that the things happening in the story can inform us of things that are happening today. And that's why you think it's important. And that's why you want to do that video. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's couch that for now, but I want the listener to understand that we're like building up to that. So, do you feel comfortable or ready to talk about Jung's interpretation that you mentioned in the story about how the apple and the knowledge of good and evil represents like consciousness and the ego and the rational mind. Right. And you were saying Mm -hmm. this in your video, right? Yeah. And then it's paradoxical because it creates a separation from God, uh, which is bad. Yeah. And it's like, puts us in sin and in league with the devil basically but at the same time the rational consciousness like gives us power and it like brings bestows gifts upon us and civilization that we wouldn't have without it every everything from high art to science and mathematics well, etc
2: well okay okay yeah, it's getting really complicated this is this is what's so interesting about this story is that it's totally acceptable to, and this is a really good point you're bringing up or a really good direction to put, bring the conversation into. So the, the, the place that people usually view the angle that people usually view the story from, I believe it's, so there might be some censorship on the original story for reasons that I think have more to do with race but I also think that there's a spiritual end to it, which has to do with Gnosticism. And that's kind of a complicated thing. But basically what I'm saying is, is that, okay, I don't know what Jung believes. Um, I'm still, you know, I, I've brushed up against um, his, his work. I don't know what he personally believes. Uh, I do like Jung. But there is a Gnostic interpretation there, So like, basically, let's see how to put this. The way that things look, and I say this in the video, the way that things are presented, the way that they're worded in that story, is that the snake is the good guy. And the reason why is because God told them not to eat from this tree. And then they eat from the tree. And, it, and they get kicked out of paradise. But then... They get knowledge and all of the fruit, uh, like you said, the, the the valuable things that we have today. And then there's Newton and the, the, the apple falls on his head and that's been mythologized into his story. So basically, um, intelligence or whatever gets associated with this, you know, eating of the apple. But I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is that could be a good interpretation spiritually, but the only thing is that I do think the Gnostics were involved in like manipulating the story to seem that way, but also look at the modern world, you know, would you say that the, would you say that um, rationalism and the things that come out of the enlightenment, which is where this idea kind of led, do you think that those things were good? Do, Do you kind of see what I'm saying? Like, Course and and I guess what I don't know because it's it's difficult because you do in in practically everything have you can go down Satan's path or you can go down God's path and that actually and I don't want to get off on a tangent but I'll just say in the Bible one of the things that the people who were messing with the Bible did was they added the concept of the devil as like a light bearer and that um that had to do with like the way that they changed some of the words i can't really go into it right now but it's all i'm saying is it's really hard to come up with an interpretation of what this story means without taking into account that gnostics were probably like messing with the story
1: so uh, okay to to what end
2: though um because so Let's see. What's a good example. Okay. Um, I don't know. Have you ever seen the movie? Just watched it recently. Pleasantville.
1: No, but I've, I've heard people talking about it. Okay.
2: So Pleasantville is a really good example of a movie where it's, it's almost certainly not Gnostics who are writing the story. And even in the matrix movie, it's Gnostics. So basically the God is is bad in the in the Matrix. The person who made the Matrix is evil, and Neo has to try right. to like get out of it. And there's all sorts of Gnostic symbology and stuff like that. You also find that with um, uh, in in Pleasantville, the the the, oh, the guy I that see. lets the guy that lets them into the world is evil, but he's like God, and he made Pleasantville. But the kids like they learn, oh, you know, it's actually eating eating the apple, and they even have like a literal adam and eve thing going on in the film i won't go into it too much but but this this idea that the devil or like the snake was actually the good one is what's put into the story now so it's all it's nearly impossible to look at the story today the way that it's written in the king james version of the bible and not take it as oh it could be like a 50 50 like we lost the garden of eden but like you know, the devil was kind of good because he gave us, you know, like, lo- knowledge of good and evil. And the only way that you're going to know that that's probably bullcrap is by looking at the Colbrin. If the Colbrin is a legitimate um, piece of information for us to dissect. But if you look at the Colbrin, you can see why somebody might twi- try to twist the story into something that was actually good when it's actually truly just the fall of man.
1: Well, I'm not so sure if, I, I don't think anyone tries to say that it's good, but I get where you're coming from. I they do say it.
2: it's good now. They no, say- I
1: mean, in the Bible, when you read the Bible, it's clearly bad. They're cursed by God for eating the, the and they're kicked out of the garden and- yes. But, but you're but, saying the interpretation. Is that what you're you saying? Know what?
2: Maybe it's maybe it's in, in the collective unconscious now. It, 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 I don't know that the Bible necessarily... Well, Jung means...
1: says this, though. What you're saying, Young is Jung says this. This is Jung's interpretation mm-hmm. to, to an extent. But I don't think the Bible is written in such a way to make us sympathetic to the snake, really. It,
2: it, it, you know... in a way i guess maybe i don't know i'd have to reread it but in a way i kind of feel like it it's it sort of does because it no i think it does because it says they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and both of their eyes were open and they became like god that okay so it's okay. like the ins- the insinuation there is that god was keeping something from them it's very clever and so then like subconsciously in a way you feel like okay maybe the snake isn't that bad of a guy but but i like
1: see I- your i see your argument and it's it is in the text you're right but i yes. still think the takeaway is definitely that they were cursed and it was bad uh especially were, as, especially since god is in the old testament is very uh paternal and he is spiteful and he's he's uh a tyrannical well
2: and uh, i you know i feel like we're gonna have to just do another episode but we are
1: gonna have to do many episodes
2: it's it's like the 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 thing is is that you know one day we're gonna have to like i'm going to have to compare the the to yeah, to to the the one that everybody's familiar with, and you'll see that there's additional information. There's even a bit about like like that enmity between the man and the woman that that like their seed will like go against each other. Right. That's that actually makes sense with what happens because later on, Mahiva, which is Eve, Mahiva has a child. Who ends up having red hair. It's weird. And then, and then, um, uh, Dadam, who's Adam, uh, has a, a child who's a son, but then their lineage goes on and then those two people get married. So Adam and Eve aren't together, but it's, it's, I, I'm telling you, it just sounds like bullcrap. But if you read it and we were to go through it, your listeners would be blown away because there's yeah. just like, there is just, so much it's more. like, there's so much more information a- and, and, and what's interesting is that the person that Eve Mahiva sleeps with, who it says, you know what, can I just read what he does to her real sure, fast? It's a sure, small excerpt. Sure. Um, what happens to her in the moment where she's deceived, he gives her a potion that, um, a witch brews and, and he gives her a potion that's made from apples and um and then he um there are two different races so his race the his name is Luid, the guy that sleeps with mahiva um eve he he is what you call what they called in in this version of the bible um a yasling and so it's a different race and you're not supposed to sleep with the yaslings um but yeah it says here Let's see. Let's see if I can find it really quickly because it's just a short little bit just so they can get your your listeners can get a taste of, of what I'm talking about.
0: Um, okay. I, it
1: already sounds, though, like your initial reading of it fits with this, like with the idea that this is about people sleeping outside the tribe and creating... I said bastards because like I meant that as like not part of the royal lineage, but sleeping outside the tribe and making like a mixed race person who becomes like a new race.
2: Well, and think about it this way. Jews uh, share a very similar um, uh, religious background that Christians do. But if you when you're watching my video, you'll hear that um, uh, Ben Shapiro, who is very well versed in this stuff and says every good Jew has a Talmud on his bookshelf. And who also said Jesus died for his troubles, so he clearly doesn't like Jesus Christ. Um, he also says in my video, I play a little clip that um, that Eve wouldn't have flirted with the snake, or no, he doesn't say flirted. He says Eve wouldn't have interacted or talked to the snake if Adam had treated her well.
1: Yeah, which I which thought
2: is was- a fascinating thing for him to say right now they have a different interpretation of things and so what a, what i think is going on with the reinterpretation that you find in the king james version of the bible what's going on there is that because we're kind of like going into a new age they i think that it becomes more poetic and spiritual and and this this lo- new line that has entered the lineage lineage like the Okay, let me see if I can make this make sense. Recently, in Jordan Peterson's new series um, on the Bible, they they say that they do not want people to view the Bible in a racial manner. I, I feel like I can't say this out loud with being too... um. I think I shouldn't say.
1: Well, the best thing to say <sighs> is that Jordan Peterson has been clearly compromised irretrie- yes irretrievably compromised yes he, de- he so definitely has seems to me like he's uh interesting that he was very guarded about his christianity in the past and now all of a sudden he's very open about it but he's working with like a different group of people so it's almost like yeah he's, like, presenting a certain interpretation
2: he 100 is and they specifically said in their advertisement for the show that they do not want people to view the bible in in a racial manner like at all which is a unique thing to
1: say yeah why would you say that what is this on youtube or something or is have the pay for it huh no
2: um i don't i don't know but it's his new bible series uh and i I noticed he's been let's see okay so i'll read this and then we can we can go on or or we can just end it. Okay, it says here. So just to give you a little bit of context, what what has happened in the story so far is that there has been um uh, you know a couple that has come together and they birth um, I guess, many different uh people, and then you end up with Dadam, who sounds like Adam, and then you have a Mahiva, and that's like Eve, and then you know. Uh, Dadam has um, a, a wife named Lil or something like that, but he also has a wife named um, Mahiva. and they're in this garden and Dadam is supposed to protect the garden. And um, but they're told by God or a spirit being not to allow yaslings, which are like forest folk, to to um, they're not allowed to sleep with them. They're not allowed to marry them. And there's also like something in the center of the garden that they need to protect. But anyhow, I'm not going to go into this. So this, this one yasling gets in and he charms Mahiva and um, he, she kind of, you know, has a liking towards him. She, I guess she might find him somewhat attractive, but a- anyhow, this is how he, this is how the situation unfolds. Let me see if I can read it. Um okay uh Luid grew up tall and handsome he was quick to learn and became wise he was also a man of the chase strong and enduring a hunter of renown but there were times when the call of his people was strong then then he he would go out uh, into the night to indulge in their dark rituals. Thus, he became knowledgeable in the ways of the flesh and in in the cardinal indulgences of the body. Adam became a servant of the sacred enclosure where the misty veil between the realms could be penetrated for all those having the blood of. I think I'm saying this name right. Aurora had a twin sight, an ability to see wraiths and and Sith folk um so on and so forth um beside the place called gissar was a pleasant parkland with trees of every kind and a stream uh also thickets of flowering bushes and all manner of plants grew lushly it was the the custom of mahiva to wander there in the sunlight and luid also went there so it came about that they met among the trees Mahiva knew the man but had but had shunned him in the past now she saw he was handsome possessed of many attractions so her foot her foot was stayed and she did not run away as the days passed they, they dallied longer together and luit talked of things mahiva had never heard before she felt a stirring in her blood but did not respond or heed his temptations because of the things that were forbidden. So Luid went to the moon mother, wise woman of the Aslings, and telling of his desires, beseeched her to help him. The moon mother gave him two apples containing a vile substance, which, which they had drawn through their stalks, this Luid gave to Mahiva, who then became helpless in his arms. They they met after this, for Mahiva became enamored towards Luid. But it happened that she became ill with a strange sickness and was afraid. Then Dadam became ill, and Luid also. Um, and and Luid said to the woman, "You must you must obtain the pure essences from the sacred enclosure," and. Satine, Satina, the Moon Mother, will prepare an elixir which will cure us. Uh, this, this, he said, because none of his kind had ever been able to obtain the sacred substances. Blah blah blah. blah. Um, I don't know if I should. So, eat is uh, this
1: uh, is yeah. this an equivalent story to the Garden of Eden? It's a different version, or is this like on the timeline of the events in the text later? than the garden of Eden. Sounds like it's like an alternative version to me.
2: Yeah. It sounds what it sounds like when you read the whole thing, it sounds like basically the people who organize and put together the current, the the popular Bible that everyone reads took inspiration from this. And this is at the beginning of the book, right after the creation story, just like it is in Genesis, right. it's identical.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, it's not identical it's not
2: identical but like where it sits on the timeline is
1: the same it's a different version yeah right it's the same story but a different version okay okay interesting yeah and 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 then
2: they get kicked out of the garden and everything it's like they i'm not going to read that but that ends up happening too um but yeah go on
1: well i was just gonna say like he you talked about the the veil of mist between the different realms that's exactly what i was talking about before about how like there was a continuous continuum excuse me between like the transcendent realm and our realm and like there's interplay between the gods and different spiritual beings and us and then like the split happened like that's what i'm talking about right there like this is this sounds like very european this is this this sounds like very like uh yes. european fairy tale version of it and it's much more it's much richer than the it's, bible that we know the bible it's that we much know much richer when you, the experience of reading the Bible for me has been, I mean, in the past when I read it, surprising at how sparse it is. Like, you have yes. some books like Ecclesiastes and Psalms, which are like pure <laughs> transcendent poetry but like the book of Genesis and the story of the garden of Eden is like very, very sparse. That's what I'm saying.
2: Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So listen, I don't know. I don't know what the legitimacy of this book is. I think it's really intriguing. Some other people that are, you know, pretty well versed in, you know, um, uh, European and history and stuff like that um, uh, and myth also find this to be interesting i have not read the whole entire book but there's it's hard to discount it because it just fills in a lot of the holes and it's also has like it has more information and also the etymology is really interesting too because there are words that are sort of like that you have they may even be tied to sanskrit i'm not entirely certain but there it Know, it's hard to well, in the explain. lost in the
1: lost episode, you elaborated on this greatly, and I don't think we have time now. But just so the listener knows, uh this was a Bible that was produced by people who were reading some of the same source material of the Bible that we know, uh, but it came out differently because this was a different group of people putting this together and writing it in a different region. I think you said probably Ireland. Yeah, um, so
2: yeah. So it, what it from what uh, the history is of the book, it says that all that they know is that um, Celtic priests brought it with them, I think, from ancient Israel or something like that. They, anyhow, they, these people who were, you know, priests and in, in, uh, in Ireland or Scotland, I think I can't remember which one it was. They had these um, written down on right. on metal, or, or no, no, no. They were transferred to metal later. Anyhow, they were in, they were stored in a me- medieval castle and um, some King uh, of Ireland, I think got upset at that particular church and burnt it down. Right. And it's called the Cole Colburn Bible because it like, they literally had to transfer everything to metal to preserve it because everything, you know, almost went up in flames. So it does have a history. We know that, um, that these priests did have this book, you know, during medieval times, and it came from somewhere. Right. I, but that's where, I don't know, it's an interesting book. If, if if your listeners out there want to take a look at it, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know much about it. I think most people don't. But it's it's definitely intriguing And I think it could answer questions if we were to get down to the bottom of it because it's just, it it seems like there's something really there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like not, it's not like uh, sanctioned by the church as a version of the the Bible. Um, Yeah. it, it, It reminds me of the Heliand, which I don't know that much about, but the Heliand is like, a German version of the Bible where the monks sort of like changed the stories to make uh them more appealing to like northern Germanic people. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we were talking about this before, it's too much to get into right now, but uh we know of multiple instances of this happening of uh Beowulf, for example, was a, a Saxon tale. And you were it was saying ri- that. Yeah, yeah, when it was written down by a Christian monk, he like inserted Christianity into it. So these stories were like altered at different times, but they come from source material that is all in a sort of a nebulous uh uh primordial state but before us that we haven't been able to look at. Like we haven't looked at like the original
2: uh I do not think that this is a case of I, I definitely can tell you that this is not a case of um like celtic or um or uh, irish uh priests trying to insert christianity into
0: um, no, I'm not, or, or I'm sorry not.
2: or um sorry um irish culture celtic culture into the story i think it, it is um possibly the case um w- with the stuff you just mentioned that that could have happened is that what you're saying because i don't think that that's the case with this this is this is something else this is not this is like it feels like this is from like before like anything like this is it's like um really really unique because i think it goes back to ancient india but i'm not 100 percent sure it's
1: i don't know i'm just i I was only (laughs) saying that that there are there are these books from these eras that we don't know they're not like common knowledge people don't read them nowadays Mm -hmm. that are like different retellings of the same stories so they come out differently so they're not presented like in the same way that the bible is so Mm -hmm. so i'm saying well and like beowulf is kind of a counterexample in the sense that beowulf is a different source material uh not not from the bible not christian even Mm -hmm. pagan uh but it was like Altered in the retelling is what I'm trying to say. So this is of a sort with how that happens, how the stories get passed down over time. And it changes as it filters through different people is what I'm saying.
2: That definitely happens.
1: Yeah. So now the Sanskrit thing is interesting, but I think it's too far off, too far off the topic.
2: It's too far Um, off the topic. We can't get into that right now, but there are interesting etymological things happening where there's things that are mentioned in this book that you're like you're like what is this word and then you look into it and it it, it's like an Aryan word or something it's an Aryan word and it's really weird
1: that gets back to what i was saying before about like the whole monomyth myth thing isn't about archetypes and symbolism it's about it actually being traced back to the same source we don't need to reiterate that yeah um, but I wanted to, I wanted to get to a couple of things. So you, you were saying that the garden of Eden is Gnostic. Actually, is this interpretation out in the world? Because this is also new to me, but I totally see what you're saying because the whole thing about like Gnosticism is you're like in this, uh, kind of contained world that's cut off from like the higher plane. So like the matrix, or the Truman Show, or like Gnostic, and that you're in the Matrix, or you're in the Truman TV show, and you don't really have access to this higher plane, but you mm-hmm. can like a- accumulate like the the initiation. You you can go through the initiation through the accumulation of esoteric knowledge, and you eventually can like attain gnosis, but like through this esoteric knowledge. And you're saying that like the Garden is like the Matrix. It is this like contained, cut off plane. Where there's this higher realm where God lives and uh, through eating the apple, you attain Gnosis through the the esoteric knowledge and you get a mind like God. And it like you, you escape. It's kind of like Plato's cave, right? Yeah, y- y- you like escape. That is a really good interpretation that I've never seen before.
2: Yeah, I think that that's definitely what's going on. You know, the the uh, the one about bloodlines and all of that, I think that is I think that's definitely true. I think it's multifaceted, but I think that's more to do with um the Colbrin. and then I think if you look at the interpretation of the newer version, you you can you can extrapolate that too. But I definitely think with the the newer version in the King James version, that's definitely what's going on is they want you to know that this other entity the snake is is giving them something that god has it's it's um
1: right they would be archons right archons supposedly like they, they supposedly like I- exist in the realm and we can like encounter them and they like tr- they control like the material plane you know they're like in charge there and Right.
2: Well, well well you just notice this that like in 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 movies and stuff, they'll use the Garden of Eden story as though they'll like twist it as though it's something good that happened and that it led to like our modern I- civilization and 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 advancement and stuff like that. and that and that's like a theme that you see all the time that like God has created this universe we are entrapped and it's up to us to become more intellectual more independent yeah, to yeah. break out of it and like get out of the matrix and that's i think in large part what what's happening in the matrix movie is that there the the, the the creator of the universe has sent uh his minions to to keep um uh neo in uh in that fake world and that's a gnostic thing and the bible like like the the garden of eden story how can you view the 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 devil or the snake as bad because you know like who wouldn't want the knowledge that that well I,
1: i i see what you're saying i see what you're saying so like the the gnostic thing these like gnostic tales whatever the matrix and everything uh plato's cave is that when you're in the matrix or you're in plato's cave you're trapped in a world of illusion And deception, and it's not the higher reality. And this is like analogous with the world of faith, where you like stupidly and ignorantly just accept the 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 teachings of religion, or you accept like what God told you, like this is what you get, this is what you're, this is what you can have. You can have Mm. the garden. You can have the garden, and then you escape the world of illusion uh, and the world of faith of just like credulously credulously accepting what you're told or what's right in front of your face and you you uh escape that to the higher reality and the higher reality is the one that you access through but see, reason and your mind
2: but this is all this is all that's perfect cuz that's all what the gnostics wanted you to believe when you read this version of the of of the 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 um The Garden uh, story. The can't say right now. The um, The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden story, because that's what exactly what people in the Enlightenment era believed. That what you just said is is what the Enlightenment was, and now produced the world that we live in today, which is just so rotten and awful. Well,
1: this is what leads to nihilism, though, and this is what leads to the wasteland. Uh, Just for the listeners. I just recorded like three or four hours on this explaining the whole like Nietzschean nihilism and the, the the entire descent of civilization from the primordial state of being one with nature all the way through the end uh, when civilization like devolves into nihilism. Uh, this is what leads to that. It's the rational mind and it's the uh, the understanding of the world As like a mechanistic process that you can grasp through the rational mind and everything that happens like in the universe is uh, like attainable to our rational mind and we can like shrink everything in the world down to something that it can like fit into our consciousness and it takes all the mystery out. But it also puts the burden of reality onto the human ego, which is like too much because you keep everything onto yourself and there's no absolution of sin and there's no absolution of guilt. It's, it's like all here in the material plane now and people start to revert when that happens, they revert back to like a primordial state of like credulity and belief in myths. But the connection to the divine has already been severed. Mm -hmm. So So instead of, having like a reconnection with god and the sacred and divinity uh you 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 fall into a new form of delusion and a new form of error so what you're saying about how like you go on because of the enlightenment to build civilization like you build this whole new thing this mm-hmm. whole new material world that like devolves eventually into the nihilism that nietzsche's talking about yeah so that state of nihilism that comes after rationalism as mm. a devolution of this rationalism, that's when you can become susceptible to the things you're talking about. You can become susceptible to the lies of other people. You become susceptible to the psychological warfare that's being, you know, perpetuated on you because you don't have the edifice of like the the, the faith in God or the faith in your religion or the faith in your traditions. The faith in your culture whatever the case may be uh you become susceptible to these new lies uh to these new archetypes i think you said earlier in the show.
2: well yeah and and just to uh, i think some making it more simple what you just said the way that i like to think about it is that there's the material world and and that's like become like associated with the devil and then you have the spiritual world and that's associated with God. And in modern times, basically what they've done is they've severed you from the spiritual world entirely. Like normies, most normies, they are totally susceptible to spiritual attack, if you will, because they don't even think that there is a spiritual plane. And what what I, what I also need to say is that they also sever you because, you know, you, if, if you are on, I guess just for simplicity's sake, going with the devil, it's, it's the unnatural world. It's, I can think myself out of everything. I'm better than God. When you don't have respect for the natural order and you don't even think there is a natural order, there's just so many problems that arise. And yes, the enlightenment era encourages you to view the world purely in in a, um, in a material way. Like you, there's, there, there is no spiritual world, but then there's that Gnostic thing that's sprinkled on top, which we've now lost, but it all just leads there. Just a, a, a distrust for, for, uh, the natural order, I think is really what's going or uh, going on just that we can conquer it or something. Do you know what I mean? That's where the satanic like Satanist individualism kind of the individualist thing kind of comes from is that I can be like God or I can Yeah. yeah.
1: Right. That's what I was saying about, like, you take on the burden of consciousness of like the workings of like the entirety of the material plane is like explained through our scientific, you know, perception of the world. Whereas in the past, uh, you didn't like all that stuff was like considered like the mystery, like the mystery Mm -hmm. of God. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to worry about it. And all you had to do was pay attention or not even pay attention, but to recognize and participate in ritual, which is purely symbolic
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, where you're supposedly participating in, you know, the flesh of Christ or whatever other ritual, like a pagan religion has, And Mm. as you that like regenerates you, so you're no longer like carrying the knowledge of the weight of reality onto you. You're like giving it over to this ritual, this Mm. symbolic like participation in this like renewal and all that's gone material plane because those rituals are empty. They don't mean anything in a material world. They're they're,
2: Well, we still have rituals.
1: Yeah, but but they're like. The but they've been rape.
2: replaced with with um, uh, more secular ones. That's what's weird is that people think that they can just erase this aspect of themselves. And yes, it's it's not the beautiful organic things that they used to be. Uh, now it's replaced by you know corporatism and stuff like that. It's well, yeah, it's, this is
1: yeah like how Camille Pallius says that it is a, like material culture, especially like consumer culture and like um, Hollywood culture is a reversion to paganism because like each star represents like a different pagan deity, you know what I'm saying? And they each like mm. fulfill like a different psychological or emotional need, like within the people who venerate them. Sure. Uh, so, so that would be like uh, the return to the unconscious or the return to, to faith that I was talking about before, but it's this like new sort of like uh degraded thing that uh it, it doesn't order society like it used to in the earlier times there was like a uh homogeneity between like ethnicity uh locality and religious practice and belief that everybody like participated in and it Definitely. was like top down <clears throat> but now because all of those customs are obliterated everybody's kind of like out floating free form on their own and they're either susceptible to like a cult like belief which is like what wokeism is and progressivism yes it's like this like replacement of religion of religion so yeah i don't know like we've we've gotten pretty far off the garden of eden and we have to end it so i want to make another connection um to something you said earlier so the the eating of the apple is the sign of like the the it's like the um Deus ex machina of the story. It's like the uh way in. It's like the the thing that precipitates the change in the story. It's yeah, the thing that brings you out of Plato's cave, out of the world into of illusion and into the world of knowledge of good and evil. Right. I
2: think that's how they want you to view it. I think that's why it's been. If I'm right. And I could be wrong. I really could be wrong. But I think that that's what that means is they well, want you to view that as like, this was a good thing. And, and and here's one other thing is that the Colbrin, it's interesting because it has a really good explanation for why um, this whole thing has happened, but it's a really intricate, really good explanation. And essentially what it's saying is, is that man cannot be in the garden uh, because what is it saying? It it's basically that man needs to go on a journey or something like that. It actually has a really good explanation that's very, uh, very wise, but that the Bible doesn't tell. And I I could read it, and I don't know if you want me to read it. Um, but it does actually have a very beautiful, wise. Uh, interpretation of why man can't live in a garden of eden because everybody always wants to live in a garden of eden in a perfect place right where they have abundance but it also contends with this idea that man is satiated only when he has like strife is basically what i'm trying
1: to say Okay. that that makes
2: him better by like by 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 going through these trial and errors he becomes better and better and better that is actually in the in the Colburn, if i remember correctly
1: no i i get your point i get your point but i i'm i'm definitely tying this back to to make a point about something you say in your thing later i'm currently tying it back to Jung's interpretation which is that eating the by bi- eating the bible eating the <laughs> apple represents The awakening of the conscious mind and And the 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 development of the ego. Hang on, hang on. Well, you have to to just accept it because I'm just using this argument, which exists in the world, whether you or anyone thinks it's true or not. This interpretation is there. Yeah. And it's in the Bible. It says if you eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge, you gain the knowledge of good and evil.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah. So. Jung says that this is the awakening of the conscious rational mind and the ego, right? Yeah. I am just using that as a way to get to the real point here, which is what you say in your video about the Apple computer using the symbol of the Apple with a bite taken out of it. I have a theory about that. I have a whole bunch of theories, but I didn't present any of them because your theories are so novel to me that I wanted to focus on those. I have a whole different interpretation of the Garden of Eden that I'll have to like present somewhere else. Mm. But the Apple with the bite taken out of it from Apple computers. And you said there's bad things that are happening now in the world that can be tied back to the Garden of Eden. What were you saying about the Apple with the bite taken out of its symbolism of Apple computers? What are you trying to say about that?
2: So, okay. So I am aware that there are multiple angles and the Bible is multifaceted. Yes, it's been messed messed with, but the cool thing about the Bible is that there is a historical interpretation that you can take from it, which I think most people ignore, um, and a racial one. But then there's also a spiritual aspect to it and a philosophical. That's why the Bible is so interesting. It's because it's multi-layered. Um, I think what's in the Colbrin makes more sense with reality. But based off of the what Jung is talking about and what I was saying in my video, I think what you see with the apple symbol and, and, and I even read an article for my video that Steve Jobs picked the apple symbol with the bite out of it for the reasons that you know you you that you said you mentioned which which basically means that they feel that by biting from the apple that led to us becoming what we are today which is true but they see it as a good thing and, and something to do with intellectualism. So whether that's good, a good interpretation or not, I don't know, but I definitely think but you're saying like,
1: that that's why Apple uses that symbol though.
2: They do. They even said that that's, that that's why they do it.
1: So I'm confused. What, what was their reason that, that, that eating the apple is what got us to be the people that we are today that can like invent computers. That that's
2: saying? so so that's what um that's what the apple has become synonymous with and it's been mythologized into because like like we had talked about before the so people that are in power will mythologize and change they'll change mythology of the past to fit the narratives that they want to express so this is or the what you were getting at now.
1: earlier this is what you were getting at earlier where you were saying that they now want us to believe that it's a good thing that it happened and it's they, a definitely a good okay. they, defi- they definitely do. Okay.
2: They definitely they definitely want I didn't want...
1: realize that's what you were saying. Like that was a, that's gotcha. a good example. That's a good example to reinforce that argument.
2: That's what I'm saying. Yes, yes. That is why I brought that up in my videos because they want us to think that was a good thing. And that's they literally said the reason why they included the bite And not just an apple. Right. They included the bite was because it goes back to the Garden of Eden, and it was a good thing. That intellectualism is tied in with this, and why? Why is intellectualism tied into this, and why is this suddenly becoming a good thing?
1: More nefarious (laughs) and goes way farther than what you're saying. There's
2: way more to it that I'm not going to go into right now, but that's where I started with this topic in my video. That's why I did that to introduce that.
1: Wanted to say. Is that according to Jung? The biting of the apple is the it symbolizes the development of the ego and consciousness, right? Human hmm. consciousness. And Jung is concerned with collective consciousness and collective unconscious, right? The symbolism of a computer company using the apple that symbolizes the birth of human consciousness is the next step in human evolution, which is the hive mind, which is AI computer consciousness.
0: Yes.
1: Okay.
2: Yes, I agree with that.
1: That's all I'm trying to say.
2: I agree with that.
1: I'm not trying to say that your interpretation is correct, but you don't say that in the video. You don't say in the video that the symbol of the Apple for Apple computers is connected to the Garden of Eden because they are trying to create a cybernetic hive mind uh, through networking human consciousness and, like, uploading human consciousness onto the cloud or whatever they're doing.
2: That's to, definitely it, what they're doing. AI yes. being. That
1: is exactly what they're doing. I tried to make an argument in a prior episode that basically... We're in Plato's cave. We're in the world of delusion and illusion. And then we uh, realize it's an illusion. We leave Plato's cave for whatever reason. We walk out into the light of enlightenment and see like the true reality, the higher reality. Mm -hmm. But now we are walking into like a digital Plato's cave. And basically like we're going back into this like, uh, world of digital illusion to be used like our consciousness is like being put onto the web and onto the cloud and like it's being mapped and it's being like are the way our consciousness uses language and reasoning and things like that are all like trying to be like turned into this like cybernetic like uh artificial intelligence yeah which that is becomes the new higher reality and we're trapped in this, like, lower reality of, like, the digital Plato's cave, while the higher reality of AI, like, exists on some transcendent plane. And, like, if you hear these people talk about it, like, those are, like, the new gods. Like, AI is, like, the new gods who, like, Yeah, dic- I think dictate. they're going to try
2: to do that. I think that that's where where they're going with things. And that's a whole another topic that is honestly really fascinating and terrifying all at once and i'm not even sure what I, I i don't even know what to think of ai it's probably not good
1: well we should probably yeah we should probably end the episode on this i think we shouldn't go on a long that. time <laughs> and i don't think we should start on that no let's but not <laughs> i think that's what you were saying in your video but not directly that's where my yeah. mind went from watching your video
0: Good. That's, how That's I, what I wanted you to do. It worked. <laughs> okay. Good. It worked.
1: And one more thing. Um, we were talking about my astral flight simulation like imagery that I use, which is like a Gnostic image because it's that uh it's that wood engraving that I, it doesn't really have a name. It's called like wood engraving number sixteen or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But everybody knows it. It's yeah, a picture of this piece. monk. Yeah, it's like a monk who's like Sticking his head through the veil of the sky from like the lit up planet earth with trees and sunlight and grass and rivers. And he's sticking his head out into outer space where the cosmos are. And it's like cogs. And it's like yeah. the idea is like the rational enlightenment. And you see like the, the, the inner workings of like reality. Whereas my symbol is that guy sticking his head through the veil of the clouds into outer space and it's just the ones and zeros of the matrix. Uh, so like, that's like the digital Plato's cave that we're like entering now. And- yeah.
2: And I love, and I, I was telling you privately that I really love that image because it honestly, it it, it relates to what I'm doing on my channel. There's there's no doubt. It, it, it's a really good image because yes, like we are all a part of, we're kind of going into the, and I see where you're going with this. We're going into a direction where we used to have television, all of that stuff informing, you know, the matrix, if you will, that we live in. Um, But now it's going to be AI and it's the internet. And uh, I don't know. I just think it's a great image. I think an image like that, just it's hard to put into words, it's it's doing a good job on its own just explaining like the con the conditions we're walking into like it's a really good image i don't know how to put it it's just fantastic
1: (laughs) i'm really glad you said that and i'm glad you saw it and it resonated with you because i agree that when i and it like doesn't even need to be explained you just see the image and you understand it immediately yeah that's what i'm saying for for the listener it's the image i use for this podcast like on Substack, there's like an icon Uh, then you click the icon to get to the podcast episode. We're talking about that image. It's also my banner on Twitter, but I just wanted to say, and I told you privately that I had the same experience watching your YouTube channel that you had looking at that image. I was like, Oh, okay. I see what this woman is doing. And it's like kind of the same thing. I'm doing it just in her, like her version and her approach to it. And, uh, you know, for the listeners who stuck with us for this whole episode, um, your video, I'm sort of like repeating myself, but I think it bears repeating. You did a very good job of like being suggestive in that video. Uh, Very much of what we elaborated on here in great detail today isn't elaborated on that video, but it clearly worked because you just presented the iconography of apple computers and my brain went to exactly where you wanted it to go uh with cool your presentation (laughs) yeah sweet so that's all i was saying and and
2: and the reason why i go and like i said it could be to my detriment it probably is and i'm glad to be on this podcast so i can explain myself um more thoroughly but i go about things that way just because the channel is more for like a normie and i hope to kind of Um, plant the seed, so to speak, as opposed to like telling directly, just because things are so dire. I feel like there should be a different way to communicate important information, especially information you're not really supposed to talk about. So I don't know if it's it's the right way to go about it. It's not to
1: your detriment. Don't say that. It's very good way to do it, and it's how it should be done, how it needs to be done because. The psychological warfare that we're being subjected to is psychological warfare of imagery. So the way you fight that is.
2: With imagery imagery. and art and all sorts of stuff. I totally agree.
1: Yeah, because those things speak to the unconscious that you like, you don't have to formulate into words because not everybody is like, you know, (laughs) A nerd like me who like reads all these books and me and my friends and the same come on this show
2: that's very well said and and for anybody out there who wants to academically talk about these things or wants to help in some sort of way or is just interested in disseminating important information just just know that that's that is true that the normie doesn't take in information like we do that's that's why that's why myth is really important and storytelling is so important because they're not going to sift through, uh, you know, they're not going to look at the Colburn Bible. They're not going to read Jung's um, uh, like es- an esoteric um, text by Jung that's 600 pages long. They're not going to do stuff like that. They're not going to um, they really do need other people to kind of make the story for them mythologize things and then give it to them in a simple manner. Cause you have to think about this. The normie usually has to do like a physical job or has to do some more simplistic job. And they're focused on that. I know this, it seems like kind of a mean thing to say, but that's, that's the reality of the situation.
1: Well, it's not mean at all. And this is why I really can't stand people who like, who are like supposedly on the right, who uh, go like after Alex Jones, Now, I I have my detractions from Alex Jones. I was very displeased about the Sandy Hook thing. And I was a pretty close follower of him uh, up until that. And I sort of went away from him. And I've reconsidered him since then and still understand what he's doing. And Hmm. the people who criticize him do so. By saying like, oh, he's like dumbing everything down. He's making us look crazy. He's making us look stupid. And he's using all this like exciting mythological imagistic language about vampires and shit. Mm. Shapeshifters. And they get angry at it. And I'm like, well, clearly this is resonating with like millions and millions of people because he was widely popular. He had a huge audience. Uh, he red pilled the fuck out of everybody. Yeah. And he made them like hate and this distrust the very people who are like perpetuating all these awful horrible things on people like um genital mutilation and uh fentanyl death murder mm-hmm. is really what it is is outright like murder. Um and when I look at what Alex Jones says besides the thing with Sandy Hook which I wish he didn't do that
0: mm-hmm. because it
1: really was not worth it his fantastic metaphorical imagery and the way he talks is extremely effective and it's way more effective than anyone who's out there talking about Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and Nietzsche and Heidegger or whatever. I agree. Like, unfortunately,
2: unfortunately, but that gets people's attention. It's, um, no, I just I couldn't agree more. It works. I, I, yeah, it it really does work you. That and that's the thing people in the dissident right don't understand is that like culture art they they don't think that those things are until recently I think people are starting to notice the value in it. They basically ignore what you could say is optics or like yeah yeah uh, pr- presentation and presentation and storytelling is very important. And yes Alex Jones, he does that really well, and I don't. I I'm I'm not like the biggest fan of him or anything like that, but I do agree with your take. Yeah. Hate on the guy all that you will, but he's extremely entertaining, and that that really is useful. Definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it and it works. Um, yeah, so that's so... why I
2: do what I do. I attempt. I, I'm attempting to to take these really difficult topics and and put them into that format so that you know. Can kind of be a part of telling a story, and that that'll hopefully get to the normie. That's my what I'm attempting to do. <laughs> Me
1: too. Me too. I'm trying to kind of reformulate my approach to do that. Uh, but I think and both better... are important. It's yeah, really I...
2: important to do both. Like you, you want to do storytelling and all that stuff, but you do need people who are very academic to like sort through the information Well,
1: i'm not an academic i'm an autodidact i didn't i didn't go to school for any of this shit. well i guess it's i like use academic hobby. but i get your point i, I get, you get in, my point intellectual intellectual, intellectual.
2: that's there yeah. we go that's that's a better
0: yeah. word no to i totally use.
1: understand what you mean i totally understand what you mean yeah so okay look we just have to end this or it's never yeah. gonna end we're never gonna okay we've Yeah, been let's, going, <laughs> we've, let's end we've been it. going for four hours this show is going to be cut down to um Two hours, but okay. just so the listener knows, we've been talking for four hours. <laughs> um it was can you, fun. Can you just tell us uh last words here, uh where your content is on Twitter? Well most yeah. of your content's really on YouTube, but what's your Twitter account? What's your YouTube?
2: I my uh Twitter account is let's see. That's a good question. How
1: do I well what's your, your your YouTube is just gifts ungiven?
2: yeah so if you just look up gifts ungiven on youtube i'll pop up straight away um, and on twitter
1: and- you're gifts ungiven underscore
2: underscore yeah gifts ungiven underscore
1: alright so i will uh i'll link the the apple video yes and uh we're gonna have to sign off now
2: okay and thank you for having me it was, uh, oh my it was God. lots of fun my <laughs>
1: pleasure it was like one of my favorite discussions ever and you have to go back
2: oh so. thank you Sorry.